0: Welcome to Sacred Realms. What? It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I am joined in the daylight in a weird twist of circumstances. We haven't like we usually do this really late, Late-ish. late at night. Yeah, you know, like I mean, nine, ten at night yeah. most of the time. Uh, and uh, it is just the middle of the afternoon right now, so that's a little different. Anywho, I'm joined, as always, by my co host, Matt Willoughby. How you doing, Matt? I'm good. We can now confirm to the general public that we are not vampires and uh, i don't know if that was ever a question anyone had but we are in the daylight yeah but has anybody ever seen us look into a mirror that's the thing but they wouldn't i mean that's true yeah they, yeah, would, no, they would they would see that we didn't have a reflection yeah yeah okay yeah. well i guess we can do that test later that's cool well i know i'm not a vampire but here's the deal guys uh, I have never actually run Matt through with a silver dagger before, so <laughs> I feel like until I've done that, how you might mean a wooden how, stake like, through the heart? To, is, to what extent can I really be sure? I don't know. <sighs> These are the questions I guess we'll never find answers to unless you're willing to commit well, yeah, well, fratter side. You'll, you'll never find answers <laughs> like, unless you're willing to commit <laughs> fratter side for some uh, reason. Leave no stone unturned, I say. <laughs> Look, officer, I just had to be sure that he wasn't a vampire. I just had to be sure. There's got to be a, a legal clause that kind of covers me in that circumstance. I I sincerely doubt it. I sincerely doubt it. But we can always give it a shot. I would never run you through with the silver dagger because that would leave your son without a father and that would make me very sad. Well, see, but. now I just now I just feel like I would I would feel very bad if I did it to you. Like if 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 this isn't the thing that we would mutually do, like <laughs> So if if there's not a suicide pact, then it's just a you know because then it makes because now I'm the bad guy, right? I think unequivocally, yes, you are the bad guy in this situation for stabbing me with a silver dagger. I don't want to be that. (laughs) All right, look, really, guys, uh, I'm sorry that we've taken a a, an abrupt aside into like whether or not we're vampires. Will they or won't they stab each other? But you know that's cool. I'm glad you could all be here for it. I mean, this was we mutually decided not to stab each other, and also mutually decided that we may or may not be vampires. But we've been siblings for like going on 30 years. so like we've never had this conversation before. so I'm glad that we could hash it, it out hash it out mm. and find out where we were at with this one particular issue. These are the important conversations you need to have with your siblings at some point. Any of you who have siblings have the conversation. Would you or would you not subject them to the vampire test? You know what uh, else is an important conversation to have. I'm assuming the one that we're about to have about Link to the Past. Yeah, that's a really good yeah, think that, That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Yay! Okay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, it's good to have you over, Matt. We're actually – so we're recording in the afternoon. The entire Willoughby clan is coming over to uh, mine and my wife's household for dinner tonight. We've we've just enjoyed a morning of Formula One greatness. So, Oh, man. Absolutely epic race. Any of you guys who uh, listen to us who might be Formula One fans or if you've watched the Drive to Survive Netflix series, if you have done neither of those things, go do them ASAP. This season was one to behold, and it ended on a truly spectacular note. Spectacular and uh, controversial. There was a there was a controversy, as they say, in, in the U of K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely one to talk about for years to come. Yeah, but regardless, yeah, good times. Highly in, entertaining. Good times in Formula One. Don't worry, we're not about to start a Formula One podcast. Although, no, there are too many of those, and they're all good. And some most of them interview actual drivers, which I know we would never be able to pull off. Although so. if we did that, I feel like Jackson would actually start putting in the work, and he might like appear regularly. I think Jackson would have to be the main spokesperson because he knows more about. Formula One than you and I combined. Than most people, I would say. Uh, yes, I would agree with that statement. The man is really an encyclopedia of cars and Formula One. What you guys should all take away from this is that Jackson is still alive, and we're really trying to get him back on the show. He just, you know, won't play the damn game, so. I know. He ref- he didn't play any of Skyward Sword, which made me very disappointed. We, we collectively almost put him through the vampire test, not even wondering if he was a vampire. Just stabbing him. Almost happened. Uh, and now he's sort of playing a link to the past and Linda and I are like, dude, get on the train. it's phenomenal. so we're trying we we would like to give you guys the Willoughby trifecta again soon because we know you guys enjoy those episodes do you do you actually say that it is phenomenal? I mean, is that your is that a current judgment call on link to the past for you? No, I wouldn't say it's phenomenal right now. it's highly <laughs> enjoyable though I, I am actually very much enjoying my time with the game, but I has not reached the phenomenal level. I would say. The three games that we have played previous to now have all been phenomenal. Like I really would say that the three games we've covered so far, obviously *Ocarina of Time*, uh, *Link's Awakening*, and *Skyward Sword* have been phenomenal. Would you um, say, without getting too much into it, because we have a section for this? But would you say that you are turning a corner in your appreciation of *A Link to the Past*? I think I started turning that corner last week for sure, and this week has continued that turn. Um, it is not, it was not as impactful as last week's episode because it was a lot shorter for me. I meant to do more exploring, but stumbled upon and got into the dungeon and then just decided, okay, I'm here. I might as well do it. Uh, so I meant to do more than I actually did. So over the last couple of days, I'm trying to be more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Intentional, more intentional about avoiding Dungeons and like exploring the world of a link to the past as I sit here with Zeldadungeon.net open because I like to have the, you know, the layout of the dungeon in front of me as we go over this, I'm just seeing so many things that I should have been able to do by this point in the game that I have done none of them. And I'm like, I don't even know. I don't even have magic powder yet. Like I don't have the upgraded shield, the upgraded boomerang. I don't have any of that. And I'm like, mm. so I need to go like do things in the world and try to find these things for myself, which is what I really want to do. I really want to get in and, and explore and try to find these little secret gems. Yeah. But as is the case with most of these older style Zelda games, a lot of that stuff is very obtusely hidden unless you know where to look. So it would take me many more hours than it would take you to, to find any of these things, which I do – it's not frustrating necessarily because – exploration is a key component of games that I like. What's frustrating to me is that I'm so used to knowing exactly what to do in Zelda games that when I don't know what to do now, I'm just like slightly annoyed at myself about it, I guess, even though I have no reason to be because I've never played this game. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's just a weird like... No, I I get you. It's a valid criticism. I think we've talked before about how uh, how little this game really does kind of ferry you from one thing to the next thing, and that goes double for stuff like item upgrades, which are non-essential to completing the game. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that, I mean that's valid. Um, I I do think those things are all very fun to do, and I think that you would, especially you know, if you've got a few spare minutes and you don't mind um, taking the scenic route on your way to the the dungeon after this one, uh, then yeah, you know, I think it's well worth your time. But we'll get into that here in just a little bit. I think we can probably devote some time in side to talk about that because I actually have some side questy stuff to talk about this week I actually did a couple as well well I, I stumbled across I changed base, right yeah I did I stumbled across yeah. one specifically that was fun cool well we'll get into all that later um let's get into the housekeeping first and then just dive right into what we played this week if you didn't know sacred realms is a weekly re-examination of the Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time sacred realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks every week we play a new <laughs> section of a Zelda game And then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com sacredrealmspod and get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more! We are actually caught up on trading card designs on the Sacred Realms Patreon at the moment. Yeet! So that's great. Those uh, Those are all ordered, and those have actually fluctuated wildly between like showing up within a week of when I order them and like three weeks. So, uh, you know, whatever. The supply chain is what it is at this moment. And (sighs) working in the supply chain industry, I can tell you that I would not be surprised to see these take a little longer than three weeks just because the mail services, FedEx, UPS, USPS, DHL, Royal Mail, all of those are just royally jacked up right now. So we'll see. But we do have we do have uh, three September uh, uh, is it July or is it September? Um, anywho, we've got Skyloft, uh, Calactos Calactos. and Sacred Grove. From A Link to the Past all coming in this next shipment. So those will be happening soon. And uh, yeah, so look, look forward to that sooner rather than later. We will definitely get them in the mail before the end of the year. And you should have a nice little stack at that point if you've been subscribed to those uh, from day one. So. Yep, and you, uh, our international listeners, uh, the three or four of you that there are, will be getting them all uh, again as well. So you're get- getting a shipment of three. Uh, which is what we committed to. So, everybody gets cards. Yay. Hopefully, hopefully in time for the holidays. Most likely not, but that would be a fun Christmas present from us to you if we can make it happen. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. No promises. I'm not promising. I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> Hopes and dreams. That's what this podcast round is on. And uh, liquor and beer. Yes. Yes, also those things. Also those things. All right, without further ado, let's talk about what we played. We do that, of course, every week in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering A Link to the Past, Chapter 5, which, uh, for the most part, revolves purely around the Swamp Palace dungeon in the Dark World. Indeed. Yes. Part one is, as always, the plot recap as read by Matt. Matt... Has got the plot recap done in time for the recording of this episode this week. Which the people wouldn't know that that's not a normal occurrence if you didn't just say that. Matthew rarely has the plot recap done I in time I wouldn't for the say rarely. I would say. I wouldn't say rarely. I would say one out of every ten plot recaps. That is absolutely inaccurate. You have done by the time that you show up to my house to record. Oh, no, that's accurate. But I, sh- <laughs> I write them before we record seven out of ten times. I- <laughs> roughly. Okay. That's Sometimes cool. we have to go back in and edit them and It's fine. Look, we all live busy lives. You do them so well, Matt. We're Thank just, you. Well, you have some leeway here. It's cool. I appreciate that. The plot recap as read by Matt shall begin now. Take it away, Matt. Our quest now takes us further into the depths of the dark world. Knowing that we need to save all the maidens and Zelda from Aghanim, we dive deep into the dangerous territories before us. Our omniscient map shows us the order in which we must conquer these temples, so our next stop is in the southernmost point of the region, into the swamp. Of course, being curious souls, we head around to the various other sections of the Dark World and our own home realm to seek out some new treasures, pieces of heart, rupees, and anything that can help us out in our quest. After our brief trek around the dimensions, we head towards the southern swamp to seek the next maiden. When we arrive to the temple in the dark world, it is impossible to c- progress beyond the entryway of the temple. Going to one of the handy dandy hint stones, the elder tells us that, in many ways, the light and dark worlds are interconnected. What happens in one may very well affect the other. Following his advice, we head back to the light world and enter the swamp temple in that world. There, we are able to successfully break the dam that holds back the stream, and in so doing, we not only reveal a piece of heart in the Light Realm, but also open up the path forward in the Dark Realm. We head back to the Dark World to progress through the challenging temple in front of us. This temple, like the Dark Palace before it, is full of challenging enemies and mind-bending puzzles. The trick here is to fill the various waterways of the temple so that we can progress through, but blocking our path at all times are the ever present traps, magical evil water blobs, and various dark realm enemies doing everything they can to keep us from moving forward. After much trouble, we find ourselves in possession of the big key, and returning to one of the central chambers, we claim the hookshot. This ever useful item allows us to traverse long distances and pull things towards us from a distance. We continue to push towards the boss to save the maiden, raising and lowering the water level as needed, and slaying all the monsters in our path. Finally, we reach the boss's chamber and find a beast surrounded by floofy clouds. Using our handy new hookshot, we rob the beast of its floofy protection one little bit at a time. Once fully vulnerable, the beast begins to erratically slam into the ankle-deep water and attempt to run us down. But the spin attack that we learned at the very beginning of the game proves too much for this squid monster, and we send him back to J.V. Jones' locker. The second maiden is now secure, and she gives us valuable information about our role and the nature of the Triforce and the conflicts surrounding the Golden Realm. The Triforce apparently grants the wishes of whoever claims it for as long as that person lives. The knowledge of the Triforce's location was lost to time at some point, but the King of Thieves, Ganondorf, rediscovered the entrance to the Golden Realm. But in a twist of fate, he couldn't find his way back to the light world. She uses the story to showcase to us that we have powers that the king of thieves can never have, as we can travel back and forth between the light and dark world at will. We are confirmed to be the chosen hero sent to stop Ganondorf and any other minion of evil from gaining the power of the Triforce. After ominously declaring Ganondorf the king of evil, the maiden goes into the ether to join the first maiden we saved, awaiting the time when we will summon all seven of them to strengthen the seal of the Golden Realm and restore the land to peace. May the uh, way of the hero lead to the Triforce. Am I right, Matt? Indeed. That has been the plot recap as read by Matt. Let's get into part two, which is our takes. And actually I really enjoyed, um, let's start off with some narrative thoughts because, uh, I, so your plot recap really kind of touches on a lot of the connective tissue between Ocarina of Time and this game. Oh yeah. And you know, uh, I think that people, people talk a lot about how this game is maybe a little narrative light, uh. Compared to some other Zelda <laughs> games and like from a from a moment to moment gameplay perspective, that is true. Like uh, but I do think that the text that we get from these maidens, the backstory that we've gotten here, it becomes much more interesting in hindsight, knowing, uh, you know, knowing the story of Ocarina of Time as we do and especially kind of knowing the breakdown of the timelines Post Ocarina of Time, as we do, it's it's actually really really cool, and there are some things that don't completely line up one hundred percent with Ocarina of Time as as was presented in that game. Yeah. but but it all kind of comes back to the whole Legend of Zelda thing, right? Where it's like some of the finer details can can get fudged, just right. A and bit. I mean, they even say things in in these narrative you know threads. You know, the beginning cinematic. That This all happened hundreds, maybe even thousands of years ago, and, like, the story has been retold over the generations and has obviously changed slightly, and um, things have been lost to time, you know, even the location of the Triforce. Like, it's all kind of... And I wouldn't say kludgy, but it's all you know, a little up in the air, right? But I, but like, I think what we can, because the main theme is still there. Yes, though. because <laughs> if we recall the 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 premise of the downfall timeline, in which Link to the Past exists, is that Link of Ocarina of Time, adult Link. Dies fighting Ganon, but Zelda and the sages still succeed in sealing Ganon into the Sacred Realm, which becomes the Dark World. Right. Right. And and that is why the seal would lose strength over time in this world because it wasn't properly – completed by Link slaying Ganon with the Master Sword which is the necessary like final step in making that seal more permanent. Yes. And so with the maidens in this game being the descendants of, you know, Rauru, uh Yesaria, yeah, Ruto, all those guys from Ocarina of Time, yep. right? So we've got that Can that- Saria have descendants? I don't know if the Kokiri can have descendants. Uh I don't know. I mean, look, there's a, there's an extent to which I don't want to pull on that thread too much because also, like, none of the maidens are fish people. So and, like- and also, I thought we agreed at the end of Ocarina of Time that all of the sages were deceased and that they're – especially in the downfall in adult timelines, they were all – their spirit selves, more or less. <laughs> to quote Sokka in Avatar The Last Airbender, it was really unclear. <laughs> <laughs> all true. Yeah. Um, but yes, none of, n- noticeably, none of the maidens are Zora, which do exist in Link to the Past. They somehow spit fire at you, which I have always found odd. Um, yeah, they all look like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Th- I was thinking the same thing. God, <laughs> yes, they do. Or the or the merman from... Uh, Uh, they look a little bit like the merman from what is that? Cabin in the woods. Do you remember that that, that movie? By the way, hilarious and also scary, but uh, that's like a wee baby Chris Hemsworth in that movie. Oh, it is a wee baby Chris Hemsworth. Oh, what a hunk. That that's like, that's like, uh, post, um, Oh, what's his name? Uh post George Kirk pre Thor. Ah Pre-Thor. yes, that was post George Kirk, wasn't it? Yeah. He did he did do a good job as George Kirk. He though. did, man. The first 10 minutes of uh Star Trek 2009 was just phenomenal. God, right? they make me cry, man. I know. That might be very the, very touching. That emotional. might be the best 10 minutes of a Star Trek movie. Like the rest of the movie, whatever, but like yeah. that, but that 10 minutes, like that opening was, 10 minutes, it was intense, dude. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. George Kirk solo flying the, the starship by himself and like protecting the all of the escape. Oh, man. So good. Yeah. Anyway. okay. (laughs) We digress. (laughs) But but anyway, so this is all cool stuff. And just from a lore standpoint, um, because lore building is something especially like the the firm existence, the, the firm confirmation of the existence of various timelines is something that we kind of take for granted now, but was not confirmed by Nintendo to be a thing until High uh, Roll Historia, and yep. that came out post Skyward Sword. Yep, and so but you have to remember, before that, we had had obviously all these top-down games, but in addition, we had you know Wind Waker and uh, Twilight Princess, and all these like somewhat contradictory-looking entries in the series that yeah. that presented different versions of, like, what was happening around Ganondorf and the Triforce and the Sacred Realm. And so now we have that context, but, like, this was the first brick being laid in, uh you know, in the road to a consistent lore across the Zelda series. Yeah, for sure. And, and I don't know anything about, obviously, the only two Zelda games to precede wow. A Link to the Past are The Legend of Zelda and Adventure of Link. I don't really know much about them, but, like – Establishing Ganondorf, the king of thieves, as like the main antagonist above and beyond Agonim. So like we're we're again. So I will tell you, Zelda One and Zelda Two canonically take place after, long after a Link to the Past. Right, right, right. But I'm saying in, in in the phrase in the in the phase of the order in which the games were released. Um, establishing Ganon Ganondorf as our main antagonist here and just tying him back to the Triforce. And then, you know, we're also getting, uh, Aghanim is getting the Gerahim treatment and, um... You know, and the Zant treatment a little bit here where he's like, you know, we're fighting him, but he's not the main bad, right? Like they're setting that up already, That a theme that kind of carries through. Yeah, people, and- people really need to stop calling it the Zant treatment and just start calling it the Aghanim treatment, right? Because like he was the OG. Yeah, exactly. That's true. He's um, getting the Aghanim treatment. Yeah. So any anywho, a lot of really cool stuff here, including name dropping of the fact that Ganondorf was at one point a man – uh, the King of Thieves, which yeah. is his moniker in uh, Ocarina of Time, as a Gerudo. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, it's, seriously, lots of really cool stuff just from a plot standpoint here. Uh, the connective tissue is so deep, and like you can already see that where Ocarina of Time is intentionally mimicking and and showing the story beats that were laid here in A Link to the Past. Like it, it's obvious to me now, having never played A Link to the Past before, that Ocarina of Time was intentionally designed to be the game that. You played through what the Maidens are telling you in A Link to the Past. Oh, yeah. Like, which I, I didn't know that before, which, which is super cool. Which, which actually shouldn't even be surprising when you consider that Ocarina of Time and A Link to the Past are the two console Zelda games that are that were released closest together. Yeah, right? because like, the only game between them from a release standpoint is A Link's Awakening. And that deals with Ganon not at all. So. None. Yeah, and it's, it's more or less – I don't want to call it an offshoot game, but it's kind of like Majora's Mask where it's a sequel sort of, but – doesn't affect the main storyline yeah. overall so i'm actually going to mention majora's mask again later in the podcast and uh I, i'm curious I, it's going to be fun you're going to like it when i bring it up i mean i always like it when we bring up majora's mask Yay. okay let's talk about the actual gameplay of this section which uh you know like matt said little shorter than what we played last week last week was kind of sprawling uh, we did a lot of Definitely. stuff yeah uh this week uh, it's just the one dungeon um and there's not even a whole lot of lead up to that dungeon that is required however uh there were f- there were a few interesting things that you did have to get done in order to gain access to this one one of those i was going to put in side quests but i think since it is required to get here i'm going to mention it now um you do need the flippers to beat this dungeon correct amundo yes and uh the whole process to get the flippers like there, there are NPCs that kind of mention the fact that Zora's domain exists and that the Queen Zora will give you flippers. Right, um, but, but uh, beyond that, no direction whatsoever. But you actually, you you found them uh, last week or the week before, right? I, I found them like the second week. Cool, then, you you had them before I did. Yeah, I uh, again one of those moments when I'm literally aimlessly wandering because I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, uh, <laughs> I don't know ish about ish. Uh, I was aimlessly wandering and like started going up the path. And I was like, oh, I'm getting shot at by Zoras. This is kind of neat. And I found where you had, there was like, it was like a little maze of water that you could walk on versus water you had to swim in. And I was like, yeah. this is kind of neat. I bet this leads somewhere cool. And kind of did that and just happened upon to the very end and, you know, big rumble. And then Queen Zora's like, I will give you the flippers if you give me 500 rupees. And I just like happened to have like a thousand rupees. I was like, sure. Yeah, that's fine. You're like, fair I trade. feel like I might need those yeah. later. Fair trade. Yeah. So you do need to get the flippers before you enter uh, the Swamp Palace dungeon um, and so I you know I actually did do that this week so I spent probably more time on this chunk than you did just For because sure. I, I took that detour um, got up to some cool side questy stuff as well but we'll get into that later um, I think just generally before we get into the dungeon map we touched on this at the beginning but will, will you say that we are overall getting into a much more um, I guess a much more typical I know that sounds like a, a bad adjective but I mean it is a good one a much more typical section of a top down Zelda game here. Absolutely. The, like we're like yeah. we're getting into we're getting into dungeon diving and like we have obviously seven dungeons to go through now that we have all the three pendants. We've done one, we're doing number 2. So like we're getting into the kind of rapid fire dungeon, dungeon 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 and then that that pads your inventory with new usable items. Like the hookshot is going to be I already know it because i played so much other Zelda. The hookshot is always a key to opening up tons of other areas in the map. I'm already thinking in the light world of all the places you can use that have down bridges, specifically around the Tower of Hera, where I'm going to go back in this upcoming week and start using that hookshot to just go explore new areas. So this is the part of the game where we're starting to get into the rapid fire dungeon. The item... Uh, The item padding that, uh, you know, filling out your inventory with useful items to open up new areas to explore. We talked about this a lot in A Link's Awakening where um, the map is not sectioned off the same way that 3D Zeldas are, but they are sectioned off based on what items you have to be able to allow you to circumvent obstacles. And the hookshot is another one of those key items like the power gauntlets that... Are required to open up new sections of the map that you can see but can't get to. So very excited about all of that. Most definitely, and like a a a, a um uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? A corresponding ramp up in difficulty as well, like and in just thought power required to progress through the game. For you know? sure. I mean the so the enemies that we as we said last week in the dark world do so much more damage. Um, the temples are so much harder as well. Just the the design and the the. Puzzles you have to go through. <clears throat> the puzzles combined with enemy density um, create their own set of challenges. So, yeah, we're we're definitely getting into the into the harder difficulty yeah. uh, section of the game. So, let's get into part three, which is the dungeon map, where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music yeah. and more. That's uh, that's Matt whistling at Gatsby pup. Gatsby, come on, Gatsby, what's up, buddo? He says my my friend is over here. That's okay, as long as we don't do borks. You must do no borks. So the dungeon that we have to analyze this week is actually this game's water dungeon. <laughs> I, I know, I actually realized that uh, <laughs> yeah. about, actually about a quarter of the way through, I was like, well, this feels like a water temple. Yeah, so this is the Swamp Palace, and I really, continuing the upward trend of the extent to which I'm enjoying dungeons in this game, uh, starting last week in the Dark Palace, continuing in this one, I really enjoyed this dungeon quite a lot. Um, I typically do You know, Water Dungeons and Zelda games are kind of uh, controversial, (laughs) controversial to say the least. But this one, I feel like you don't spend quite enough time actually swimming in it to where it's a hassle. Like I want to I'm sorry, please continue your thought, but I want to make a a semi- Controversial statement. Once we're done, so this one is less about swimming and doing combat, like in the water or whatever, or avoiding enemies whilst in a, in a swimming state, and more just about redirecting flows of water so you can access different parts of the dungeon. And I think that's a really good balance to kind of pull off. You know, uh, one of the reasons that I think people get so frustrated with the water temple in Ocarina of Time, aside from the obtuseness of the raising and lowering of water levels. And I and, don't even agree. Yeah. Th- I mean, you know. I, it's not I have, obtuse about it, but it's I, like, have, yeah. I have my own feelings about the extent to which Water Temple and Ocarina of Time is like as hard as people say it is, but like one of the reasons that I think people are actually frustrated with the Water Temple and Ocarina of Time has more to do with the fact that when you're in the water, especially in the 3D games, your motion tends to be restricted, your combat options tend to be restricted, it slows down the minute-to-minute gameplay and I think that kind of actually actually ends up being one of the reasons people are more frustrated with water. You know, I totally agree, actually, because one of the main frustrating things for water combat in most Zelda games is that you're restricted to, like, one item. And, and, in Ocarina of Time, it's the hookshot. And a lot of games in general. Yeah, I mean, like, you are restricted. You can't use your bow and arrow, which, you know, physics, understandably. Uh, but, like, why can't I use the Megaton hammer in the water? That seems like it would be a perfectly viable option. Like, I, I kind of get why you can't use the sword. Swinging it would be a little hard, but... I mean, you use a megaton hammer, hook shot, fine. I get it. Um, I don't know. Like it just feels weird that you're just so limited. In your options. Yeah, whereas in the top-down games, for the most part, water is much more of like an obstacle to overcome than it is an area where you're doing any kind of combat or actions. So, And and this dungeon knows that, I think. You know, it's much more about how can I redirect the flow of the water to get to a new area of the dungeon that I wasn't able to access before. And that's good. Uh, Matt, where were you at with the Swamp Palace? So I want to say this is probably, of the games we've played, my second favorite water temple. With your first favorite being the Ancient Cistern? Yes. Cool. Uh, This was a lot of fun, in my opinion. The, um, The map knowledge that it takes to be able to understand what your actions will do to influence the rooms that you need to go into was really fun. And it was not obtuse like it was in Eagle Tower. Like, I felt like Eagle Tower was a little bit annoying because there was so much... And, and this is obviously the, the Link's Awakening dungeon that I'm referencing. There's this, they're kind of similar in some ways where you have to do something in one room that affects your ability tr- to traverse in another room. Um, and you have to travel in between and all of these rooms to, to interconnect them, right? I will say the geography of Eagle's Tower and Link's Awakening is much less um, immediately apparent. and like right. It's much harder to keep track of than it is in, For sure. in, in a lot of other dungeons, this one included. Especially because it's like when you drop that top floor of Eagle's Tower, it's like I get that there's now a new section of that top floor that I can access, but it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of logic in terms of like where things line up versus where they For were sure. before. But anywho. So I, I really liked, and I started this dungeon off on a very high note because I always love it when you are like... When you do things in the light realm to influence the dark realm, that was super cool. Like I don't know why that was so cool to me, but I was like, wow, they actually like really interconnected these two disparate spaces to make them influence each other which and it, I'm like which, that was really cool which uh props to uh, our good friend Kai Parker, who actually mentioned that as one of the reasons that she likes this dungeon so much in uh, in the dark world episode. Yeah um she mentioned that you know obviously you've got to like you've got to drain. The uh, reservoir in the light world and then go into the dark world in order to access the dungeon. Yep. Um, And I actually got kind of hung up on that because I knew I had to do it. But I thought the solution was to drain it in the light world, then go up to the portal that is just to the immediate north and warp into the dark world from there and then come down. If you do that, then the draining of the water is not retained. So You have to use the mirror. You have to use the mirror in the same grid space once you drain the water. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, I don't want to say that it's like the smartest game design decision in the world. Like I feel like it should still – Yeah, it should retain from one one grid space to the next. It should apply, but whatever. Um, So anyway, and and I think we actually – I made this mistake too. I got this – dungeon kind of mixed up in my mind with the ice palace and kylie did as well last week and so we were, understandable we were kind of talking about the ice palace and the swamp palace and melding them together and so now i of course having played i'm like oh those are two co- completely different things yeah. but like but that is what kylie was talking about having to drain in the light world and then go into the dark world so luckily cool. i had no idea what she was talking about because when i got to it i actually had to use the hint stone and i was like oh yeah but Super cool little uh, interconnectedness there that put me in a immediately like, I think I'm going to like this dungeon kind of frame of mind. And uh, that ended up carrying out throughout the rest of the dungeon to being like, yeah, this was super fun. And like, you know, hitting the switches to flood the areas so you could swim over the immovable blocks or, you know, just opening up uh, the half stairwells that were in some areas. That was really, really fun for me. Um, The... There were a couple annoying bits for me. Um, The little water blobs that sometimes that will like randomly pop out of the water and then like fly around like anti-fairies to try to hit you. Those annoyed Mm -hmm. me until I figured out you could hit them with your sword to make them go away. I didn't know that at first. And so I was just trying to, you know, avoid them. They all they don't exactly have a tracking mechanic, but like it felt like they did because they were so fast and erratic moving. Um, But. So, so those annoyed me at first, but I figured out like, oh, you can just smack them and then they go away. So, so I was able to progress a little easier. Um, this is probably I have died more in this game in the first not even half of the game than I have in the other three games we played combined. I, uh, I died three times in this dungeon. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's like it's definitely challenging. A lot of ways to get hurt in here. Yeah. And yeah. and the the everything takes away at least two hearts. Like it's a lot. And so, you know, I find myself again looking at ZeldaDungeon.net just to have it up in front of me. You know, this guy's got, I think, 13 hearts right now. And I'm like, I have like seven or eight. So, uh, ah, man, I probably got 10, I think. I don't have as many as I could. I have like, enough. I have enough that a fairy will not get me back to full health. I think I have like two think, empty hearts yeah, from I, a fairy. I, th- I think fairies only give you six. So, so. I, th- I think I have eight. Okay, cool. Um, so I will say one of the things you know we've talked about how discovering items in the overworld of Link to the Past and doing things in the overworld can be a little uh man. We, we need to start an obtuse jar. Like uh, uh, yeah. If anyone if anyone's doing a drinking game with this podcast, every time we say the word obtuse, take a shot and you're and dead. You're, yeah. You're going to be dunsky before <laughs> so, the end of every episode. But in the overworld, I think that uh, a lot of times there is just not enough like si- a, a lot of good signposting to get you to stuff in the overworld. That's not a problem that we're having with the dungeons at this point. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that in, at this point in the game, um, what we've referred to in the past as the language of dungeon solving in Zelda is definitely in effect. Like, absolutely yeah uh the the, the like uh and I, it was really pioneered here so that's like it it's, was, it's a language yeah. that translates to the rest of the games but having played the other games we yes. can you know retroactively apply yes. but i never felt like there were any cheap puzzles in this dungeon if that makes sense i haven't i have not felt that there was other than the folk the faux bombable walls in last week's dungeon other than the fake bombable walls which some uh really wonderful user told us on instagram you can hit the walls with your sword and if they're bombable they will sound different than a non-bombable wall super huge pro tip thank you for that and um you know other than that i really haven't felt that these dungeons were um i don't want to say overly tricky but they weren't intentionally misleading they haven't been intentionally misleading so i would i would have to agree with that like there's some very uh there's some very intuitive and consistent dungeon uh Puzzle mechanics happening here, and I feel like it creates just a much better and more satisfying experience um, while not making it any easier, really. Oh, absolutely. Um, One of the things that I really had a big issue with in the early dungeons was that uh, it felt like they were so linear, right? Oh, for sure. Like there was really no – Uh, There was really no backtracking that you had to do. There was no going back to an older room like, oh, wait, is the way forward here? I don't know. I need to look around a bit. Um, And we're kind of much more in that space now, Uh, like in terms of just like having to wander around the dungeon for a bit in order to find the correct way forward. And I I never like for that to overstay its welcome. You know, it can get frustrating after a certain amount of time. Yeah. But I feel like a little bit of that is called for when I'm playing a Zelda game. It's just part of the experience that I sort of look for, and it's very welcome here. Um, let's talk about the item that we get in this dungeon, which is, of course... Well, so I want to go back on that point real fast, is that, you know, Max has said in of, of many of the episodes that we've had him on where, you know, the the key with Zelda dungeons is that they introduce you to the main mechanic in an easy way and then make it progressively harder as you progress through the dungeon uh, to, to, to keep the dungeon challenging without being overly... Um, opaque instead of obtuse. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's overly opaque to to cause frustration and I feel like this dungeon has done that very very well. Um uh just overall. Yeah. So let's talk about the dun or sorry, let's talk about the item that we pick up in this dungeon. It's one of the all-time Zelda classics, we get the hookshot. Um I don't know how much there really is to say about this version of the hookshot, mostly just because for all intents and purposes, it's the exact same hookshot that we get in Link's Awakening, A Link Between Worlds, any any top down Zelda game where you get the hookshot. It exists exactly like it does here um, in terms of like r- really it's just for traversal, like it's for. Yeah. it's for covering gaps, like getting you across um, gaps in the map that you couldn't cross before and. Um, and it is very useful. Like I really do like it quite a lot. But one thing I do really like about the top-down hook shots is that they attach to virtually any surface. Like you know, even the even the statues, the the, 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 the non-armos statues. Um, they just look like knights. They attach to skulls. They attach. They, they attach to lots of things. Whereas like in the 3D Zelda, it has to be very specific types of materials, like wood. Right. And so like that, I do appreciate that a lot about um, the top-down hook shots, including this one. Yeah, so cool place to get it. I mean- you know it's <laughs> uh, yeah is it the most fun item in the world to use i don't know but nope. it but it is like fun to receive it <laughs> yeah it's it's cool and yeah. like i said it really and like i said in the beginning of the episode it's one of those items that you know is now going to open up areas of exploration in the yeah. overworld that were previously unreachable so yeah. that opens up a lot of opportunity to go find upgrades for your items new heart pieces magic powder uh, upgrades to your magic meter etc 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 yeah so let's talk about this dungeon's boss a little bit what was it by the way it looked like a squid jellyfish it it was the uh so the the jellyfish in this game are actually i know uh i forget what their name actually is it's something like baronade um it's it's no baronade is the boss of Jabu jabu yes exactly but like there's a lineage there. Oh, like, really? Okay, the, that's so, cool. Yeah, so similar to how like there's Armos and lots of Zelda games, but yeah, they always look different, you know. Yeah. Um, These are Baronades, little Baronades, and gotcha. the boss is a big Baronade. Um, and so I told you I was gonna bring uh, Majora's. Uh, will, will you look that up? What the name of this boss? I'm is? I'm actually trying to look at it right now. Is it Kaimera? No. No, the Kaimera is the little water blobs. Um, Hover. Nope. Nope. Um, Argus. Still no. No, nope, it is Argus. A-R-R-G-H-U-S. No, it's not. Yeah. It, uh, God damn it. Hold on. If you're thinking of the Bari, the B-A-R-I, the Bari, who, which are the jellyfish that float around and can electrocute you. Dude, I'm literally looking at ZeldaDungeon.net and it says Argus. Boom. Oh, okay. I guess you're right. So I guess where I was getting confused is so a lot of times in these dungeons you're fighting little versions of the boss before you get to the boss. Yeah, you know, and they have like mini boss names. Yeah, exactly. You, you are thinking of the Bari, the the bar, the red Bari sprites or the red Bari and the blue Bari, which are floating jellyfish that do look a little bit like baronade. but th- yeah, they have. They're just enemies that are in the. Uh, dungeon. Itself. Well, I stand corrected. I still I, my headcanon is still that those jellyfish are like the babies of this boss. Right. Yeah, but, I'm down with it. So uh, I told you I was going to bring up Majora's Mask and I think actually several Zelda games have had a version of this boss. But in Majora's Mask in the Great Bay Temple, uh, the mini boss is basically this exact same thing. And I think that it's really cool where you have got the same boss in both 3D and 2D Zelda games and it works the same basically in every area that it appears and the concept is always that you've got a nucleus that you have to damage to actually beat the boss but the hookshot is required to like pull bubbles or eyeballs or whatever yep. off of that boss and you've got to do that before you can actually do damage so uh so and the great bay temple mini bosses like the one that comes immediately to mind for me but I do think it's really cool like it functions exactly the same regardless of whether you're in top down or in 3D. Yeah, I think that's the, fun. the wart. Yeah, um, the wart in uh in you're absolutely right. It's it's an eyeball that is surrounded by uh orbs of water. And yes, you're you're correct. I actually did not make that connection whatsoever until just now. So, very good call out. So, I I think that this is a pretty fun boss. Um I wouldn't say that it's like the most challenging boss fight we've had in this game so far, but it it does tend to take just a little bit longer to complete, just because you have to go through the whole process of getting all the all the little bubbles off of him before you can actually do damage to him. And you know, uh, we gave a few of the early bosses crap for not uh, not needing the dungeon's item to yeah. overcome them. Specifically the Tower of Heraboss, which didn't... You get the Moon Pearl there, so that doesn't yeah, help you right. all. And, and that is not the case with this guy. You have got to use the hookshot to pull the bubbles off so that you can damage Argus's actual yeah. body. So And it was really fun because, like, at first, when I... I immediately knew that I needed to use the hookshot to get the bubbles off. Just, be, again, like you said, it's a pr- fairly common that uh, in the later it, games. It's that language of Zelda. Exactly. And uh, the when where I got... I, I didn't die to this boss, but I almost did because when he, when I robbed him of all of his floofy protection, um, I started trying to shoot him in the eye like I did with the, um, Helmosaur King yes. last, last week. Yeah. And, uh, obviously that dude moves fast. So yes. like I was, I could not hit him with my arrows. Yeah. And the um, arrow, the arrows actually have a substantial travel time. In this they game, do. So. Yeah. Um, and so we'll actually talk about that in side quests as well. Um, the, uh, so, so really out of desperation to stop getting hit by this dude, I just like smacked him with my sword and I was like, oh, that hurt him. And so then I just started doing the spin attack and it's like, oh, OK, got it. Now I get it. I'm there now. So um, good, good um, boss design, I think, just from a trying to have a connective thread between last week and this week's boss. It proved to be unsuccessful. Sure. i and mean, like and so it was a little bit different. It wasn't like ridiculously challenging, but it was it was a little bit different. No, but honestly, like I think what we have here is a super classic archetype of Zelda boss. And, you know, it it, it feels fun to play against it just because it is so like it's the kind of enemy that we fought in a lot of other Zelda games before and it, it never becomes boring. And again, like this is the first time that it was done, so we have to give it props and for sure and recognition for that it's the forerunner of the others yes so cool uh very fun boss matt do you have anything else you want to say about uh, the swamp palace before we get out of the dungeon map i would say that they really do well with the enemy density to puzzle <laughs> combination in a lot of areas specifically uh the areas where you're having to run around and bomb some walls and uh you're trying to dodge the there's a specific room i'm thinking of where you have to dodge There's two magic laser shooter things on the floor There's the little water bubbles that are flying around There's also the little water striders That are trying to get you And so you're trying to dodge all of these things While running around looking for the correct bombable wall And uh, that room was very challenging But well done uh, it, it reminded me a lot of like a, a classic Mario world Or Mario game Where you're trying to like jump around And dodge the, the flame turrets that are going oh, and also yeah. The, the yeah So it felt a lot like that Where you're just like okay gotta avoid the thing Things I can avoid and hit the things I can hit and like dodge and weave and dodge and weave. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Nope. Enjoyed I think this, it. this dungeon did a good job of that. Enjoyed it quite a lot and uh and am really happy that uh you are you at least are finding the dungeons in the in the dark world section of this game, which is most of them. I mean it's like three quarters of the dungeons. Yeah, seven out of ten. Yeah. yeah. So like I, I'm glad that you are enjoying them and are finding some fun challenges there. Because sure. the last thing I want you to be is bored. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely game. not bored. I'm definitely <laughs> not bored yeah Um, I was a little bit bored for the first three episodes with the light world temples because they were not much but um, I'm not anymore cool good stuff love to hear it let's get into part four which is where we talk side quests and we've actually got several of these this week let's go ahead and lead off with the one that I think you and I did uh together like I think you and I both hit this one this week the flute yeah. flute boy flute boy which really it's an ocarina so it is but an whatever. ocarina it's even blue it is blue so wink wink yeah so uh yeah Matt and I both did the flute boy quest this week. Um you can encounter him very early in this game, but you know, he always warps out of uh out of the physical realm in the light world when you right. run across him. But of course now we have uh this fun little way to go back and forth between two different universes. So. Is he like an elephant? He looks kinda like an elephant. In the dark world, yeah. I'm not sure. I would need to go back and look at it. But um, I do think – so this is a fun little story. Obviously, you go to the little grove to the uh, west of your house, and once you get in there, there's a lot of animals that are listening to this flute boy play. But if you get too close, then he warps away. And so now we can go to the dark world, and um, the dark world version of this character, once he's there, says, hey, I've buried my flute. In that uh, grove, please retrieve it and take it back to my father, uh, and let him know what's happened to me. And then he kind of does a, a Deku, Deku Butler son sort of thing, yeah, where he becomes like an, an inert uh, part of the scenery, right? He actually he looks more like an anteater or maybe an aardvark. Okay, cool. Regardless, he is no longer alive. Nah, he he, he passes us the flute. He, he has. The he flute. did. He shuffles off this here mortal coil, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and instructs us on where to find his flute. So we we go back. Uh, we get the shovel, which useful is useful, yes, and we find the flute. Uh, Matt, did you – once you found the flute, did you go all the way in terms of what you can do with this side quest, take it back to his dad in Cockerico Village and go – because there's another step after that. Negative. Okay, I, cool. I, I only got the flute. Uh, I am intending to complete the rest of this side quest to wherever it takes me. Yeah. So you take the flute back to his dad in Cockrico Village, and he instructs you to play it in front of the rooster in the town square. Once you do that, the weather vane uh, – becomes alive, and a bird pops out of it, and uh, you know, uh, bada-bing, bada-bang, now we've got fast travel in this game. Yeet! And that's how that works. That's what the flute is for, and um, you can now fast travel between I, it, it's actually quite a uh, large selection of different locations in both the light world and the dark world. And oh, makes, that's good. makes it much easier to get around. Well, then I will definitely be doing that because that is one of the things that I have never super loved about top-down. Uh, Zelda's is the the traversing of the map always feels a lot more uh, lengthy than I think it should. So fast travel, always a good thing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I do – look – Uh, When we're talking about emotional gravitas, in top-down games, it's sometimes very hard to convey an actual weighty sense of emotional investment to characters. Right. Um, Notably, uh, Link's Awakening. uh, Does that well. Does that really well. (laughs) But – Anywho, uh, it, it's not typically a strength of the top-down Zelda games, but uh, this is a cool a cool little story here. You know, dad is worried about his son. Son's never coming back, but you're able to give some semblance of peace to both characters um, just by going through this whole thing, and you get uh, access to a really cool mechanic – Uh, within the game to boot so yeah it it was it was an interesting quest for sure I'm excited to get it to its conclusion and and get a little bit of that emotional investment out of the father son relationship there so so let me tell you about the other side quest that I did that I know you didn't do indeed before I do that Matt is there anything else you yeah so I I actually went around in the dark world and found a couple of the mini games the uh, the archery gallery where you have to shoot the moving targets Uh, I did that like 20 times and never beat it because lord it's hard uh uh, the travel time is just very difficult for me to dial in with the bow and arrow. And I have not done that yet. Yeah, so I, I found that one, and I also did the shovel digging game where you pay this lady like 100 rupees, and she's like, go dig as many holes as you can in 30 seconds. And uh did that and got most of my rupees back and was like, I don't know if this has any actual payoff at the end other than rupees, so I don't think I care, um, and kind of abandoned that one. Um, what else did I do? I think that was pretty much it. Uh, I found like two pieces of heart just in my wanderings. I got the quake medallion. Um, which, uh, which one is that? So you go and you have to throw a rock into the circle of, uh, the circle of stones. So that is actually, I'm really glad that you just kind of figured that out because you need that to enter another one of the dungeons. And to me, the first time I played link to the past, I got hung up on that for a very long time. Yeah. Um, just because I like I didn't know I didn't know what I should be looking for. The 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 kind of concept of the different medallions was like Yeah, it's the only one I have, and I'm like, I think there are more. It looks like just based on how it's laid out in the item key, it looks like there should be maybe two more. So you yeah, you found the hardest one, I think. Uh one of the ones that you need to find. We actually have already encountered the space where you need yeah, to it's, find but it. But it's on the Tower of Hera. yeah. yeah. So yeah. you get the Master Sword. I've been meaning to go back there. I don't know what it gives me. I apparently it gives me another medallion. So I I've been meaning to go do that. Yeah. So actually, cool, really cool. Um, that was a really useful thing for you to have just kind of like discovered on your own. Did you go back up there just because you had already visited Zora's domain in the Light World? And yes. You were curious what was okay. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Um, yeah, I don't have that yet. Uh, I need to go back up and get the other medallion from near the tower of Hera. I, I, I do like these medallions as a concept, um, just because like in a link to the past, I don't tend to use them much other than where I need to, to access an area. But Max has said before that, uh, was it? Max might've been Cody. I don't remember one of them. Um, You know, how the medallions in Ocarina of Time that you get from beating the temples were originally concepted to have effects that are similar to this. I remember that. And, like, when you get these, they look like those medallions. Yeah, they do. So— You know, it it all just kind of goes back to an interesting thought experiment of, like, what would Ocarina of Time have been like if if, the medallions that you get at the end of the temples actually did something other than be ornamental? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? We have it in this game. So I guess (laughs) (laughs) we sort of know what that would have been like. That would have been really cool. Like, I'm just thinking of, like, the fire medallion being some kind of version of Din's fire instead of Well, I think that was the intention. Yeah, instead of having Din's fire, Ferrar's Ferrar's wind, and Nehru's protection, you have, like, those – those same effects from different medallions that you get from beating the temples and then, you know, have a couple others. That would have been really, really cool. I think it would have been pretty cool as well. Um, So I didn't do any of that. What I did do is get upgraded versions of both my shield and my boomerang. I see. I want to get the upgraded shield because I'm tired of taking so much damage from – enemies and i know that getting the upgraded shield at least in uh, other games allows you to take less damage so like i want to do that so you do so you actually in a in a later dungeon i believe you get a new set of armor that like halves your damage oh fun but uh the upgraded shield actually what it does is it blocks fireballs the same way that the regular shield blocks arrows and other projectiles like that so um yeah, so I went up to – you actually passed right by it too. All you need is the flippers. Um, well, dang it. There's a there's a waterfall at the entrance to Zora's domain, and if you swim through the waterfall, there's a fairy in there. You can chuck items into the fairy's pool, and uh, a lot of times she'll just give you the item back. But with the boomerang and the shield, she'll give you back upgraded versions of both of those things. Well, so, okay. I'm going to go do that. Yeah. Uh, the upgraded shield, like I said, reflects fireballs, and the upgraded boomerang travels faster – um and it's just kind of cool to have and it and it's uh it looks like it's red it is red yeah i've got zelda dungeon open (laughs) and it's uh it's they have it equipped in one of these uh little screenshots they're showing yeah Uh, yeah cool so like that yeah so that's kind of what i got up to in terms of side quests but very useful things absolutely yeah (laughs) it is kind of a shame like you talking about the mini games that you stumbled across i feel like mini games in zelda games and this is a problem from at at the very least, A Link to the Past, all the way through at least Skyward Sword. I'm trying to think of an an analog to this in Breath of the Wild. I'm sure it has one. It's not coming to mind immediately. But, like, a lot of the minigames that you stumble across in these games exist solely to Rupee Farm if you need to do that. Yeah. But also, at, at least uh, in, like, Rupees can kind of become kind of scarce in Breath of the Wild. But, like, everything from Link to the Past to Skyward Sword... I feel like, generally speaking, you, you have are, way more rupees, than you know what to do so with. so many rupees! Yeah. So and like. so in Skyward Sword, a, a perfect example is um, the the bamboo cutting quest, which only rewards you with upgrade materials. And like by the by the point in the game when you can consistently get high numbers on that to get the rare upgrade materials, you really don't need them anymore so like <sighs> I don't know if that's true I actually there were a few there t- was there was only one time that I did it and I got a goddess plume and I needed it to upgrade the bow see but yeah like that there, was that was it there were a few times that I needed goddess plumes or golden uh the skulls or whatever that's fair to upgrade items shields whatever and so I was like okay I'm gonna go hit the bamboo quest up but like I can't think of a time really in a Zelda game except for maybe a link between worlds we'll talk about that more when we get there but where I needed I felt like I needed to go hit up. The rupee grinding. Yeah. Minigame. And like I f- it would be really cool if these mini games like they do in Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, if they granted you like an upgraded quiver or an upgraded, uh, I don't know, bomb bag. But I, I don't I get the feeling that they don't necessarily do that. And uh, it's, they seem like more rupee farming kind of things and so i'm just like yeah. are they even worth me going back and investing time to try to you know hit all five arrows into the <laughs> things or is like is that just going to give me like 60 rupees when i spent 20 and if that's the case i don't care the answer is probably not matt yeah probably not probably not yeah <laughs> let's move on to part five which is z targeting where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we <laughs> happen across i'm gonna go first it's probably gonna be the same as matt's though oh actually it's probably not matt probably i'm gonna not. let you go first uh well I, I actually want you to go first because I have two and one of them is an enemy so I want you to pick yours and then I'm gonna go with the op- opposite. Uh I'm actually gonna go with I, I was kind of assuming that yours was gonna be Flute Boy. Um that's my non enemy. Okay cool I've got an enemy one as a backup. Well I'm going with Flute Boy's dad. Oh good one. We that's brought a good one. We brought him peace and I absolutely. You know he's just he's chilling out in the bar. Um he's worried about his son and. You know, I uh I feel for him, but I'm glad that we were able to bring him some semblance of of comfort mm-hmm. and to uh, you know, inform him that his son, while no longer with us, um met some uh measure of fulfillment. For sure. At, at his- Closure. Yes. Closure. Yes. yes, there you go. So, I'm actually going to not do the enemy. I was going to do Argus, but I feel like we kind of covered most of that with uh, the discussion earlier. I'm actually going to go with the second maiden, and I'm going to do it solely because she is a very useful story dump item. You know, she's a very useful story dump uh, character that has given a lot of context to the weight in which our, our quest carries beyond just trying to save Zelda. So, she has now set the stage very well for uh, why we're doing what we're doing beyond the need to save the princess and um, has filled in a lot of those gaps for like, why is Link special in this game? Why does he have the ability to do all these things? Blah, blah, blah. So uh, Second Maiden gets my Z-targeting of the week because she has given us a lot of very useful information. Cool. Yeah, I respect that. Yeah, going. Yeah, look, but <laughs> this is an aside. We should have gotten to this earlier. Here's one thing I still don't quite get about the lore. I think this is the biggest inconsistency from this game to Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. Assuming that Link dies fighting Ganon in Ocarina of Time, gets uh, Ganon gets sealed into the Dark World right. by Zelda and the Sages. We know that the Triforce is still in. The, the sacred realm in the sacred realm which is now the dark world the the whole triforce yes however uh the triforce had split into separate pieces in ocarina of time right before that happened link had a piece zelda had a piece and ganon had a piece correct so i think that's the biggest maybe maybe i'm like missing a little something something i think there, maybe but. i think maybe we have to assume that when link and zelda died cuz zelda would have also died at some point probably not you know, of natural causes or something that the pieces of the Triforce that they held would have gone back to the sacred realm at that point oh, to be idea. rejoined. And obviously, Ganon having the Triforce of Power, I don't necessarily, I, I can't tell you even theorize as to how he would have had that stripped from him. Maybe it was as part of the sealing into the sacred realm. And so, well, it would he have... probably he probably kept it and yeah. and you know, re- reunited it there or something. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think that's really the only explanation is that you know, upon their death, the um, the Triforce would go. Back back to its natural state okay that actually makes sense like i was kind of trying to parse that a little bit but that's that's a decent explanation i think as good of a theory as i can come up with yeah that's that's as much detail as we can assign to this like super like cliff notes lore that Zelda games give us about uh, this indeed kind of <laughs> yeah. okay cool 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 um let's get into part six which is final thoughts matt wrap this section of the game up for us as succinctly as you possibly can. One of these days, I'm actually going to. Uh, you're not going to know when it's going to happen either. I'm going to be like, "Let's get into part six, which is our final thoughts." Matt, wrap this section of the game up for us in the most sprawling <laughs> way that you can possibly <laughs> Just think like to do. Throw in some filler words, <laughs> yeah, as many exactly. as possible. As use many the s- multi-syllable words, as many syllables as you can muster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, this section of the game continues uh, what began with last week, which is the the introduction chronologically of uh zelda dungeons as we know them now they uh we have begun to explore the dark world and its secrets we have found some new items and we are continuing our quest to uh free the maidens and and really dive into some um well-designed and challenging dungeons as we progress through into the bulk of the game cool love it you're always so good at that. Oh, thank you. And and, and and it's always so off the cuff. Like it is literally I was just off the top of my head. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> the, the plot recaps are always scripted and written down, but those ones are always just off the top of my head. Right off the top of the old noggin. All right. Oh, man. Matt, I mean, look, not the beefiest section of this game. But a fun but one. But not right? the least like, beefy either. Like we've had, no, we've had no. very sparse sections of not games, but this one, this one definitely delivered in some areas that were a little bit unexpected, you know, side questy things were, were good. And, uh, uh, even some lore building just via, uh, story text dump. So, uh, all good things I would say. No. Yeah. 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 Yep. Couldn't agree more. We're having a great time here. Always. Oh man! Well, not always. There, there was the "kill me now" section of the game last in Skyward Sword, but that was notably not a great time. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, like I said, been a great time. Matt, are you about ready to tie this one up for the week? I am ready. I'm ready to go have some of that pot roast your wife is cooking because I'm hungry. Oh, it smells so good, right? It does. I think Dad might be bringing some nice whiskey over Ooh, too for dinner. I love so. it when Dad brings the whiskey. He brings the good stuff. Mmm, it's good. and here comes Gatsby. He's ready to go in as well. Look at that. Gatsby's like, you guys seem like you're about done. So, (laughs) cool, cool. All righty. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and you can become a patron. If you've got no rupees, not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. It makes us very happy Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on A Link of the Past, Chapter 6, covering the Skull Woods. And we will be welcoming the uh, the other dynamic brother duo of Zelda podcasting back Uh, on the show for that one. The Hyrule Podcasters! We're getting those guys, Ben and Pat. Yeah, Ben and Pat. Can't wait it's always a fun time With it is a fun time so that's going to be a good one also uh, yeah Skull Woods is uh, on Christmas the week of Christmas somewhat non-appropriately bringing you the opposite of Christmas cheer (laughs) (laughs) so that's going to be a really great time we'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels a link to the past can be played (laughs) On a variety of Nintendo eShops. It can be played on the Super Nintendo Classic. It can be played on an actual Super Nintendo. If you still have one of those. If you still have one of those. It can be played, of course, on the Nintendo Switch via the Switch Online subscription, which is the way that Matt and I are playing it. And it can be played on the Game Boy Advance. So, yeet. Lots and lots of ways to play Link to the Past. Basically, if you have a Nintendo console of any kind, there is almost certainly a way to play it there. I think that that is true, yes. Except for the N64. (laughs) Which is a little sad. There is no way to play – I don't think the GameCube either, honestly – it might be in that Zelda anniversary collection you thing. could, You could actually, uh, yeah, you can connect your uh, Game Boy Advance to your GameCube. and That's play true, it you and, can do that. Yeah. So, so there really, goes. there is a way. <laughs> but really, the N64 is your one and only way to not play <laughs> Link to the Past. <laughs> so. Oh, gosh. Alrighty, guys. In the meantime, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and GameShops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.